there is consumer appetite and there is passion in the world for wellness. Like, period. There is. And we are all, whether it be pre or post sort of quarantine and COVID, I believe wanting more of that. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're do all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I sound a bit gravelly today. I, I do not have my pod voice on. <laughs> what happened to your voice? <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. Let me, just, let me try that again. <sighs> Maybe it was all the singing that happened last night. Maybe. Sometimes... Sometimes there's just occasion to sing. If it's someone's birthday, for for instance, perhaps. Let's just talk about it. I got a private okay. Zoom show um, from the sort of like the Hamilton cast from all different parts of the country. The touring company. The touring, right? Not yes. like, yes, not to be confused with that. Like, I don't even know why. Anyway, fucking <laughs> incredible. And when I drop the F-bomb here, I mean it. I mean it. I don't use it loosely. Actually, I do. I use it way too much. And I use it way too much on the Zoom that you orchestrated, that you coordinated. Uh, and I am still S-H-I-T-T-I-N-G myself. I was serenaded. I had my biggest fan from them. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of, I don't even know, slightly like mortified because I couldn't control, I couldn't contain my enthusiasm. I just That's the best kind of enthusiasm is that which cannot be contained because that means it's authentic. So watching you have a fangirl moment while I was having my own fangirl moment and then watching like 30 of your favorite people watch you have the same fangirl moment was really just, that can't be duplicated. Wow, what's wrong with her? <laughs> it was a magical evening. It was um, the best possible birthday uh, experience that one could ask for in month 73 of lockdown. Lockdown. Not, it's like a double layer. It was like layered lockdown because it's yes. like pandemic. But in New York, we just got like 20 inches of snow. It's just, it's gross. I mean, if anything is going to cure your cabin fever, oh my God. going to be some musical theater. It was epic. Well... Also epic was a conversation that we had with Rob Wiley. <laughs> I don't know if it was actually epic, but it was really fun. Rob, listen, you're no Lin-Manuel Miranda in Hamilton <laughs> original cast, but I think we had a pretty good time. Well, I think we had a good time. Rob uh, is, he's great. He's the chief marketing officer. He does, handles a lot of the portfolio companies at Emil Capital Partners. And right now he's working most specifically with um, Cherry Bundy and Sip, which are some of these fun new functional beverages in this enormous landscape of functional beverages. Um, but we didn't really talk about like the business part of it, which I really liked. We actually kind of got bigger picture and talked more about just like what it means to be a brand in this day and age and what, how 
wellness impacts everybody now and you know how customers experience brand. I don't know. I liked that it was more kind of philosophical and not just like talking about selling SKUs. Right, exactly. Yeah, it was a pleasure, pleasure to talk with. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. The only thing that could have made it better would have been a little musical interlude. Oh, yeah. Maybe we could just like set the intro music to this with a little like, I'm not throwing away my first thing. We might have to start a different podcast for that. Anyway, enjoy. Rob Wiley, we are big fans and we hope that you are too. We love giving you ad-free episodes, but you're going to have to listen to this one real quick because this episode is brought to you by us. Yes, our brand new brand, Earth and Star, is taking your daily habits like cold brew and matcha and elevating them with adaptogens to give you some ridiculously healthy benefits. Benefits such as cognitive function, calm, stamina, and a huge boost to your immune system, which I think we can agree we all need right now. Our super convenient, ready-to-drink lattes are 100% certified organic and plant-based made with, what else? Rothy oat milk. Is there any other kind of oat milk today? I don't think so. No packets or tubs or clumpy, weird powder that no matter how much you try to mix it, it never seems to dissolve. Just a delicious little can of magic. We've got all the flavors. We've got cold brew coffee, matcha, turmeric, cacao, which is basically adult chocolate milk. And we are adding 2000 milligrams, that is no small dose, of functional mushroom extracts like lion's mane and chaga to basically upgrade your everyday habit into a kick-ass functional latte. Kick-ass. Kick-ass. Available at earthandstar.com. Take 15% off with the code HTW at checkout. Earth and Star Mushroom Lattes. Amazing taste. Healthy as We are live. Live from the closet. Zoe's got her new stripes. <laughs> I just realized that if I had my other background, which is, looks, like a, looks like a burlap sack, <laughs> and I have my original shirt on, which is camo, <laughs> I literally would have been... I would have been... Totally <laughs> Military vibe. Yeah, yeah, I have a lot of military vibes. This is the opposite of my typical vibe. So, okay, go ahead. It is. You're like sparkly instead of bunker chic. <laughs> I like it. For bunker chic, that's right. Um, and Rob just looks chic because you've got this like beautiful backdrop and I'm sitting in a light box that is my closet. So, <laughs> so welcome officially, Rob Wiley. Yes, thank okay. you for having me. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. Where are you? Where are we talking to you right now? Where are you? I am streaming from Portland, Oregon. Uh, My COVID home of 2020. Uh, I actually recent, well, recently, I relocated during COVID from New York City, where I have a home, to Portland with my family for a little bit of space, a little bit of peace of mind, a little bit of mental health. uh, And surprisingly, thought I would do so for a month and now have done so for almost 11 months. You have children. I have one child. He's six. Okay. He's six. And you guys said, okay, we're just going to like test it out, rent a house in Portland and then come right back to New York. When, And then did you, were you familiar with Portland like before choosing that or? Yeah. So I'm originally from Portland. So there's oh, a little bit of like, I tons of familiarity where like I still have extended family here, but uh, yeah, when, when COVID, you know, 
uh, introduced itself to New York City, you know, the city sort of went bananas. Everything went into quarantine. And we thought that it would be a month-long exercise of where schools would close and things would, you know, go very, very quiet. So we thought we'd just use that month to uh, actually go west, see family, have more support, have some space where family could be outside a little bit easier than in New York City. And so we packed a bag full of winter clothes, headed west. And then 11 months later, my family, I've been back but my family has not been back to New York. So when I went back to get clothes, none of them fit my son. It was very strange. It's like we've had to completely reinvent ourselves. They're going to say none of them fit you because you had gained like... (laughs) (laughs) No comment on that. No comment. But it is is a wild, wild world that we're living in for sure. And I did not expect to be in Portland for any extended period of time actually this year. And now my life is... Uh, at least one foot is firmly planted here. Uh, and so I can't say I, I hate it, actually. I, I, this is one of the upsides. There's a lot of quality time spent with family, a lot of evening dinners that now I have with my family, which I did not have in New York. And so a reintroduction of sort of mental health in a whole new way is what COVID has brought us. Well, that's, that's lovely perspective. Sometimes <laughs> it hasn't gone that way for everybody. I don't think. <laughs> That's I'll, for sure. I'll spare you my family dinner routine. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, so the work situation back in New York. What were you doing? Let's start with that, and then maybe we can zoom out a little bit. Sure. So I'm an executive at Emil Capital Partners, which is a private equity firm in New York City. We invest in and manage uh, over 30 consumer portfolio companies. Uh, in a variety of stages of life, um, mostly focused in food and beverage. So there is, uh, and many of which, you know, are in the natural space. So there's a great amount of intelligence in the building on a consistent basis about not just wellness, but in general, how consumer products are living and breathing in the world. Um, So my particular role is I uh, operate in three of them. All three of them are natural-based uh, product companies, two of which are in beverage. One is Cherubundi, which is an all-natural part cherry juice dedicated to recovery. And the other one is Sip, which is a Camu Camu-infused seltzer brand. So it's a functional beverage. And I have the opportunity or the benefit, you know, to really engage across three companies. Like I said, I'm the CMO of all three. The third one is a plant-based food company. So they're all really dedicated to wellness in one regard or another. And my job uh, on a daily basis is to help them navigate not just COVID, but in general, how to be successful as young companies in this world and find meaning to consumers who care about these things, meaning health and wellness by way of what they put in their mouth in interesting ways. Is that, do you feel like that is the Emil Capital ethos or is that personal? Because I think, I mean... (laughs) We certainly don't encounter that many folks in like the venture space that are super concerned with, um, I guess, you know, something that personal or that kind of thoughtful on that level in terms of, you know, just how consumers are being treated and how we're treating each other and how wellness is like, I think we get that kind of as a party line a lot, but I, it, 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 I don't know. It feels more personalized coming from you than I feel like a lot of the the folks that we've talked to that kind of occupy, you know, these roles. 
it certainly is something I was drawn to, right? I think their investment thesis is on the investment team side is that uh, to a large degree, the future is all natural. And so that was something that definitely resonated with me. Now, my career historically has proven that out and that I'm drawn to that personally. Like I do care about my own physical health and mental wellness. And so those are values or principles that I have brought to these companies and that I bring to marketing in general that I think really resonates with me, makes my work purposeful. So uh, I think it's a nice match meaning they have a bunch of companies that they've invested in. And I have a, a more sort of my own principles that mirror nicely with that, which gives me reason to be passionate about getting up and going to work every day. Just in terms of like the portfolio and how you're looking at the general wellness landscape now, I mean, how has it changed or has it changed pre and post COVID? I mean, obviously COVID has brought wellness so much more to the forefront in different capacities for everyone. So has, you know, have, have you shifted your, the way that you look at brands? I mean, post COVID? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question, right? What is, what is being well even mean right now? You know, like it's, it's such a hard question to answer because it's so personal to everyone. And I think I will say this, one of the things that I hope brands have done more of is take more responsibility during COVID and respected the relationships and the roles they have in consumers' lives better. Because consumerism feels far less important right now. Mm. I mean, we fundamentally don't buy the same thing. We don't shop the way we used to shop. Like everything has been reframed. Like someone mentioned the other day, which I think we saw the meme, you know, in social, which is there's only two days of the week, the guy that Amazon delivers and the days that Amazon doesn't. Right. Like that's, that's the reality that like all of us now kind of live in. And so I hope, and I do believe the best friends have found sort of a new voice in that conversation. And so the responsibility that brands have and the relationship that consumers want has changed during these times where it's less just about selling things. And it's more about somewhat taking a stand. I mean, let's not forget during COVID, we also had an election. And that was obviously heavily politicized and brands and many CEOs in this world were forced to take a stand on one side or the other. Like that's such an interesting time in history that I think we'll look back. All of us believe that it's a certain amount of chaos, but I do think to answer your question, Zoe, I think, I think that is COVID. Uh, COVID has inspired a lot of that conversation. And I think it wasn't, it was trending, but it wasn't nearly as important. I think, you know, 12 months ago. And would you say maybe like, so when you talk about brands sort of taking on this new responsibility, wellness brands, is an example of that just sort of like playing on the fear that people have around, I mean, or like, can, can you give an example of a way in which some wellness brands are not being not sort of like changing their, their approach or, or adjusting their tone appropriately, or perhaps like going too far in the opposite direction? Well, I definitely think, you know, the idea of even social justice, right? There's a number of brands who've kind of stepped up on that front, Nike probably being the most well-known of them all, that have believed that taking a stand is good for business. So I do think we've seen a bunch of those brands and a bunch of CEOs speak out in a variety of ways that are helping consumers navigate these times. Now, 
I, I think, you know, even if you look at e-commerce or grocery brands, they've sort of innovated into curbside delivery and other sorts of convenient methods. And like, those are interesting things too, that I actually, I don't think will ever go back. I, I can't find a good reason to go into a grocery store on a weekly basis right now, because everything I can get, they just will bring out to me, let alone deliver to my door. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow. So I think there's a, bri- a variety of ways in which both services and products have stepped up during COVID. I think we've seen uh, the good of people uh, and of businesses be more prominent as a responsibility to helping everyone kind of navigate what's going on in the pandemic. So that said, do I think that to a large degree that it's done for more than commercial gain? That will be the really interesting question. Like, I don't want the world actually to go back to what was then considered normal, which is, you know, commercialization or capitalism uh, on a way that like, like you were looking at all the trends going into whatever, 2019, 2020, you were seeing, seeing things like, of course, you know, Max logo, billboard branding, all of these types of things that kind of felt, to me at least, not really all that interesting. Like, it just felt like capitalism for the sake of buying more shit. And, I, and that isn't being well to me. Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint, yeah, I, I think we've seen brands act differently. To the degree that the ones will continue to do so when everything ends and we go back to whatever is the new normal, that is the really good question. I think the brands that we hope to emulate, I think the brands we're all trying to build will have changed. I hope. Yeah. Well, just for a little context here, <laughs> we are about to launch a beverage brand. I mean, a, not really beverage, but, you know, an adaptogen mushroom platform. Coffee brand. Platform. Yeah. Not really a coffee brand, but it's sort of like we're finding, you know, we're finding the, the, well, long story short, we're trying to launch a brand that um, heavily, you know, or perhaps not, but at least going into it, we thought would heavily rely on the sort of retail landscape and, and the way things were, like how we consumed, how we shopped. So it is a little bit, oof, really just like, I feel like every day we're kind of trying to navigate how, you know, these behaviors are changing just from a, you know, shopping perspective. So when I hear someone say like, I never want to step foot in a store again, I'm just yeah. like, oh my Alan God. sent shivers down my spine too. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, um, but I hear it's it's interesting to see how things evolve just physically, right? Like how we move about the world and how we engage with brands and just with, a, you know, a total absence of anything like experiential, like what does that engagement look like? But then, you know, so that's one aspect that's obviously challenging for us. And it sounds like you're, as the CMO of three different brands, probably trying to figure out that as well. I mean... What kind, what terrifies you? Just just logistically, not even talking about the messaging pieces or anything having to do with wellness, but just you know, like how how are brands supposed to engage, or what do you anticipate this this shift? What what is that? I think I think discovering new brands in a world where you don't shop consistently in a store is frightening. Yep, terrifying. Like it's terrifying. And, there, and as someone who ha- is trying to introduce new things, new companies, new products, all the time to consumers, generating trial is a really, really scary thing. Because in a world where 
consumers don't meet young new brands, they're only going to meet the brands that spend the most. Yep. And because and that is that is I don't think that's the world in which I want to live in, where five to ten companies control most of you know consumerism because they simply can purchase it. And so that's that is the, I agree with you. In a world where we're all trying to launch new stuff and likely where consumers meet new things is in aisles of stores or in physical sort of locations, I hope we find cool ways to do that. Because that is the only way young brands win. So that's one thing that I do hope returns to whatever becomes new is that we, as consumers, go outside, invite brands into our lives, do new experiences, and meet new things. And by way of which young companies who are, you know, interesting, different, beneficial, go back to being a, have a, an ability to compete. So that's one. Now, I, I also think the other thing that I'm consistently aware of is, yes, the way that consumers want brands to live in the world, meaning 80% of consumers invite or follow brands in their Instagram feed. So the relationship that consumers want from brands is more friends and family than it is selling products, right? So I hope brands on that front in this new world, respect that and do things that add value and bring some sort of mental health or wellness to an Instagram feed that is usually filled with memes and other sorts of like friends and family pictures. Yeah. So I hope both of those things happen. You know, it's funny hearing you talk and thinking about, you know, just this idea of, and again, to echo Zoe's point, like the idea of, of trying to create something for people to discover without the opportunity to actually enter a store is terrifying on one hand. But then, I mean, I have to think about, you know, back when we launched Blueprint in 2007, social media was literally limited to like Facebook for finding your like high school crush. And and we weren't even close to entering retail because we were small and scrappy and we were literally just trying to get into people's homes via whatever means necessary. Oh, just for the record though, we couldn't enter retail because we were selling a raw product. Well, right. We mm-hmm. couldn't enter retail, but when we first started, it wasn't even like like Whole Foods was not on our, you know, two thousand and like early two thousand seven radar. It just it's it was it felt impossible and, and just not something that was like an immediate next step. But so, I mean, you, you know, your, your, your experience as a marketer and career goes back to those days as well. I mean, Method was your first venture, right? And I mean, when, when did you get involved there? And like, how, how do you think about it in comparison to those days? I feel like maybe there are some similarities. Maybe there are some lessons we could actually draw from in, you know, thinking about like, and, and in, in that way, social media is actually probably like just enhancing what, what we had then. I don't know. I mean, do, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, I feel like we're kind of bookending this kind of like yeah. this pre, you know, pre-brand engagement and then post-COVID worlds are sort of bookended. Um, and I mean, how did you guys think about it before, before social media was, was an option? And, and what, what can you draw from that? Well, I think, you know, Method is a little bit of the OG of sort of purpose-driven branding, right? You know, as a brand that was committed to disrupting the cleaning aisle with sustainable and well-designed counter-worthy soap, 
was essentially the sort of the hypothesis going in. You know, method stood for four things. And I think this approach still stands today, which is you can't just be about one thing. You can't just be about efficacy, right? You can't just be about design. Consumers want more than just one functional benefit from their brand. The method was about four things and it continues to be about today, right? They were about sustainability, fragrance, design, and efficacy. And so we, as a marketing team, we kind of rearranged those based on the conversations we wanted to have with, with consumers and with retailers and with investors all the time. You know, I definitely did not found method. Eric and Adam are much more qualified to talk about their early, early days than I am. I joined method in like when it was going through puberty, right? This sort of adolescent company that was growing up, still disrupting the aisle, but big enough to matter, had its own personality and point of view. My job was to a lot to to a large degree to help magnify that. So the the bones were already there. I just had to grow them. And my job in particular was uh, one of which was to build the e-commerce business, which now today is like fast forward what you're talking about, Erica, which is like a huge channel and a strategy of most companies, not an afterthought. It was very much an afterthought then, right? Like physical products, particularly cleaning ones at Target, were things you showed up on Saturday every day as the CEO of the house to shop for. That's how things were discovered. That's how these products were bought. And that's where brands won and lost. Now, that still exists today, for sure. I mean, both, you know, Sip and Cherubundi, they are fighting the good fight to a large degree at retail and, and in e-commerce. So I, I, I'm not going to try to diminish the importance of offline retail. It is still far and away the place where brands you know, meet people and usually scale, especially in food and beverage. But at Method, you know, we knew we had to stand for more. And so Method's playbook to a, to a great degree was one, they were really good, Eric Ryan in particular, at PR. They knew that in earned media was the place that they could rival brands like Clorox and P&G. They, we definitely couldn't outspend them. We could just be more interesting. Mm. Right. And Eric is a genius at doing that still to this day, as he's founded Ollie and a number of other companies that have been very successful. Like he's bought this playbook, multiple companies now, and it's very successful. In addition to that, though, we knew we needed to, where we were going to actually create advocacy was on the counter next to the sink in your kitchen. Right. That was a physical product that people wanted to badge in their house. And that actually, I think, is what. More than anything, PR still is incredibly valuable to startups. Don't get me wrong. It's a place that requires investment. And I would advocate for all young companies to invest in it. But brands as accessories or as badges was super interesting to method. It was where everyone put that teardrop soap next to their sink in their bathroom or their fridge. And it was a statement about themselves. You know, it said, oh, I care about design. Oh, I care about the earth. You know, and that was just this little insight that we called counterworthy design that we, you know, moved into dish soap, obviously, you know, and other products around the house that started to surround this method home that I think now exists far outside the home where you've got Starbucks, you know, they were early to this party with the Starbucks coffee, right? Coffee cup, like you used to see, like that said something about you, Mm -hmm. like that you cared about your coffee and that, you know, you were discerning as a consumer. And you believed in whatever Starbucks was doing at the time. And now that is definitely gone to a whole different level. Well, brands as accessories 
now actually lives in social media, where you see all sorts of brands doing these types of, you know, uh, engagements with influence and others just to get them to hold your cup, you know, just to get them to wear your sweater. And that to me is what Method knew early on, is that this idea of advocacy being by, by design, literally and figuratively. And then also, you know, standing for something being purposeful and using PR as a microphone for it. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I remember, um, it's funny, it wasn't the tagline, like maybe not the tagline, but I remember that video it was probably on like Virgin, like the, we're all in this together. Yeah. Just yeah. So- I mean, Method, Method was the people against 30. They still are, right? Like what an interesting way to frame it. They just didn't take themselves too seriously. And so I don't mean to cut you off, but mm-hmm. one funny story, it was before I got there, right before I got there, but it was such an interesting, compelling way. So Method at one point got a cease and desist letter from Clorox about the use. <laughs> no, it's I know That's you've arrived when they're paying attention with their lawyers. Uh, and uh, they got a cease and desist letter from Clorox about the use of a sunflower. And Eric and Adam went on and did a video, which is like, they showed the cease and desist letter and like, you can't own the sunflower. Mother nature owns the sunflower. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just, it was such like a lighthearted way, but a passionate sort of point to make that, you know, they, they just really, really, really believed in what they were doing, but they didn't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Erica, on that note, we're going to revisit the Gail and Oprah video. Oh, yes, we are. Oh, yes, we are. Um, I thought you were actually going to go to the uh, brands as accessories note where we kind of enjoyed seeing, you know, what happened with our little cooler bags that we used to deliver to people, you know, their little six bottles of juice and have their walk around with their, you know, their cleanse. And, and you know, the most exciting thing was that I mean, we did it. It was intentional, right? We did it because the idea was we were trying to, we were trying to kind of elevate the idea of, you know, something that you would find in that like sort of stereotypical health food store from the seventies into something that actually felt like a badge and felt to your, you know, to use your words, like to like counter worthy. Um, and so seeing people, I mean, and there was like some paparazzi, there were some issues that we got into with a couple of celebrities who like took issue with us saying that we had like, you know, fed their, their use of a very personal and private product to get like a splash on, you know, Us Weekly. And we were like, uh, no, they left their house carrying a bag of juice that had our logo on it. So it kind of did its own pitching. Like we, we had nothing to do with that. So just on that point of, of, you know, standing for something, standing for more, you can't just like rest on one thing. Definitely, it seems that the millennial audience, and I don't know, maybe for the past, feels like a while, at least five years, it seems like you can't not have some kind of like philanthropic, like arm to your business, right? Like everything has to be like, uh, you know, for every dollar we sell, whatever, we donate, we plant a tree, we like, you know, whatever. So, I mean, we're, uh, we're not doing that yet. <laughs> we don't have any money yet. We can't afford it. Oh, well, we will. <laughs> we will be donating to, we'll be supporting maps, most likely. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, it's just so, it feels, it feels very complicated right now, just in terms of 
like I get how method broke through when they did like using all those tools, like the design, the environment, the sort of not taking yourself too seriously. Like that all feels very like fresh and new. It just feels like everyone today, and maybe it's just because we are so immersed in it. It just seems like everyone is reading from the same playbook, like in terms Mm -hmm. of these pillars and they're kind of like all pulling from the same script and everything. It's like nothing really feels authentic. It just feels like we all, we all know that you have to do X, Y, and Z to exist as a brand that appeals to at least like a slightly younger audience today. And so in that, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're finding it like increasingly difficult to figure out. It's like how I'm turning this into like a consultation. (laughs) (laughs) We're finding it increasingly difficult to, to break through the noise, right? Because it's just like with all of these social media platforms and everyone on social media being a, just bring it back to the wellness point, quote unquote, wellness expert. It's hard to sort of like find those those authentic kind of authoritative voices, especially like on Instagram or with Instagram kind of like, you know, crowd and making it just like insanely crowded. So I don't know, like I've heard recently of a couple of brands just totally pivoting and removing themselves from Instagram altogether and saying like, this is just such a bullshit expense. It does not give the return that it did even like two years ago. Like it's total waste of money. It's too noisy. It's too crowded. We're taking everything offline and kind of going back to this more traditional strategy. Um, And I, I don't know. I mean, I guess my question to you is just like, how do you feel about breaking through the noise? From a social media, like kind of advertising perspective, exhausted. Well, it's exhausted. <laughs> yeah, exhausted. It is. I mean, the, the commercialization of all of our sort of news and social platforms has become really difficult to decipher, and that you know, from a marketing perspective, is intentional. From a regular everyday person perspective, it's complicated. And I agree with you. The reason being is because good startups have all deployed pretty much the same playbook, right? Big and small startups understand that they need to have an element of purpose to their mission and their messaging, whether it be purpose for real or just purpose washing, difficult to know. In addition to that, they all do social media. They're all pretty savvy with the same PR agencies. They all like, they're all bringing this formula, which has proven to be successful. Don't get me wrong. A lot of very successful and big startups use the same formula once upon a time. And even more recently, I do think, I mean, a good example is, so when I was at TaskRabbit, one of, one of the things we did, which is we looked at localized marketing, right? We knew we had to do paid social and search and all and PR, and we got good at that, but it, one of the things we knew is we needed to win in some key cities. And so, and what, and we were early to this game, but in general, you've now seen it. If you live in New York City and you, or, or even if you visit New York City, step on a subway and look at how much startup advertising is on those trains. Mm-hmm. And it is now very competitive to get those placements because offline startups have started to figure out how to use these, whether it be transportation, 
or other sorts of city density sort of avenues to market to you as well. So now they're surrounding you offline. And because they can't surround you online, given how competitive it is, how expensive it is. And so, yes, without question, brands are looking at offline alternatives. Pre-COVID, I don't think too many of us are excited to get on a subway right now. So, you know, my guess is a lot of that has gone quiet, um, but will return. And when it does, I think startups will continue to use that philosophy because of the competitive dynamics online. It just makes it more, it just makes it harder. It makes it more expensive for young brands to compete. And I think that is the frustrating part of where a lot of brands are trying to win on and offline is they, I think young brands do get it. Meaning like every brand and you guys have started now started two, you know, successfully sold one and you understand the consumer. Once you start to consumers understand who you are and as long as that's really who you are, I think they care. I think that has to be uh, a thesis. We all take away from this. The question is how do you get there and how do you have that relationship with consumers in a place where it's so expensive and so competitive to do so? And I, that is, that is the race. That is the challenge that all new to world brands are going to go through. I do think the good news is, like I said, I think consumers now not just want, but hope maybe that the best brand will stand up and do something worth paying attention to. And they will get, they will gain our loyalty for it, but it's on startups to figure out how to meet them where they are. And I don't have a good answer for it other than, you know, SIP and Sharabundi or to a large degree, we just aim, fire, aim, fire. It is a battle of attrition. And, you know, Method, well, I wasn't there when Method got their lucky break with Target, but that definitely was a game that they just consistently, I know through a ton of hard work, just eventually earned the right to live in a big way in the second largest retailer in America on a shelf in a store. And uh, I think that's what young brands have to continue to try to do. So, okay, one more question on the, it's not totally the same question, but you know, it's, well, another part of this is, and and you know, you sort of started to talk about it before, but just sort of like how we want to engage with brands online and and this sort of like familial approach. But you know, when um, when we started Blueprint, we very specifically. And again, this is like pre-social media, but, you know, very specifically, like we do, we do not want to be in any way, shape or form the faces of this brand, right? We want this to be a brand. We want it to be its own powerful, live on its own thing. Like we don't want to have any kind of, you know, it's sort of, it kind of not cheapened it, but it, it definitely didn't elevate it to the level that we wanted to, wanted it to. So we let it live on its own. We definitely stayed behind the scenes. And it just seems like today, and I'd love to get your take, like, Unfortunately, because I personally just like hate being like a you know in front of any kind of brand, but it seems that consumers really demand that I don't know if you want to call it transparency, but that sort of level of intimacy where they want to know exactly who's behind it. And not only you know do they want to know who's behind it, they want to see you like move and talk and dance and interact and do, you know they really want to have this like intimate relationship with like the founders and we, we you know we talk about this sort of like founder fetish that's just like kind of exhausting and the, over the past few years but do you think that that's really required 
for brands to succeed today? Or have we, have we moved past it? Please say the latter. I don't think we have. Damn. I want to. I know. Sorry, I want to. I do. I, I wish to a large degree that, you know, this fandom that comes with founders wasn't needed or necessary because it feels a little bit like puppeteering mm-hmm. to a large degree. Uh, it feels that you now need to invent a story right. that press cares about. And that's, you know, to use an overused word, that doesn't feel authentic. That doesn't feel like that's what we set out to do. But yeah, I mean, again, because consumers are inviting your brand into their feed as if you were a person, right? So they got to see a person. They want to see some humanity out of you, whether it be you or what you stand for or what you're donating to. They need to see this persona. Otherwise, it feels like advertising. And that is not what people want in their feed. Every brand, by the way, that I work on, the best performing content we see in social media isn't advertising. You know, it's user generated, influencer created, like living in the real world stuff that is a little low res, kind of gritty, story driven, you know, all that kind of stuff that, you know, we've deemed as branded content. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, you, you can't put a pretty product that has lots of functional benefits uh, on a shelf and say, well, it's going to win. They're like, no, 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 you got to do the song and dance, whether that be with retailers or in your social feed. But that's kind of, unfortunately, the reality, at least that I see today. Yeah, but it's interesting because I think, again, using Method as an example, like I think they're still quite relevant. I've got all of the teardrops all over my house as we speak. And I have no concept of associating a face behind the name. And I think they very effectively back in the day, and maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it's because their roots are, you know, go back so far. And if they were to enter the scene today with a, you know, faceless, but very personality filled brand, maybe they wouldn't succeed. I don't know. What do, what do you think? Because I mean... I think they've grown up to the point where they're sort of, you know, they've reached a point where the founder story isn't as needed anymore, right? They're so recognizable by a certain set of people that uh, their mission and their message has surpassed their founder story. Yeah. Now, to be honest with you, you know, Eric and Adam have been on the covers of countless magazines. Like, I don't, I don't need to recount their own history, but, you know... They've been on the cover for how to create culture-driven companies about mission, about disruption, about, you know, all sorts of different amazing stories, which are all true. But they, uh, they definitely hinged early stage PR on founder stories. It was just so long ago. I met the founder was founded in 2001, you know, 20 years ago. So at this point, yeah, I, I'm, you know, you can only thankfully, uh, use the founder story for so long. Right. So in the state, and you guys know this, there's the stages of companies go in marketing, you have to reinvent yourself pretty consistently. And usually the place that startups start is the founder story because it's the most relevant when there isn't a business story or a growth story or a mission based story that has a ton of proof. All you get to go on is you. Right. I mean, in some way, there has to be some thread 
to humanize the brand because to your earlier point, like if we want to be friends with brands, then we need to know who we're being friends with, whether right. it's because of their mission or their background or whatever. But yeah, I guess it's not, the time's not up yet. Um, no, not the, I, I, I wish it was. I mean, the truth is, is you guys have a great story. I don't know why you wouldn't want to tell them, but <laughs> I also understand it's exhausting. Well, I think to Zoe's point, like our story is pretty fucking authentic. You know, we built a business from the yeah. ground up and we sold it with no additional capital, no outside help until the day we were acquired. And, you know, and we're still super passionate about wellness and the ingredients and the products and the, you know, new tools and, and modalities that we find to the point that we want to put something else into the world because we think it needs to be there. Not because we're trying to find, you know, something easy to do with our next phase of our career because it's anything but easy. But I, I guess to that point, like, it, it all sounds like it all starts to sound the same. It all starts to sound a little bit inauthentic, which is unfortunate because our story actually is real. But, you know, it is, it is now kind of like a race to, to figure out how you're going to not only make your story super authentic, but also make sure it's like super differentiated so that people know that, you know, it's like, there's just this endless kind of like checklist of, you know, how to be a brand and make sure that you're not looking at the same checklist as everybody else, because then it all starts to feel like it's the same. That wasn't really a question. I, I completely, I, I know. I mean, it's a very <laughs> accurate statement. I think, but I, I do think if you go back to what you're all about, whether it be, you know, your founder story or the, you know, the general sort of con like conclusion or hypothesis that you've come to, which is there is consumer appetite and there is passion in the world for wellness. Like, period. There is. And we are all, whether it be pre or post sort of quarantine and COVID, I believe wanting more of that. Right. And so how do we bring that through new beverages, new products, you know, new things in our lives that truly, you know, enhance the way we want to live. And I, I think there's a world in which that becomes part of this formula. And so when I think about what you guys are doing with your new venture, right. Uh, it feels right on time. Yeah. I, I see that across a bunch of startups. But I think, you know, us not being, remember what I said about believing about one thing, you know, you guys are about multiple functional beverages. It's like, you know, it's the world colliding in all of these trends. Right. Because now it's not just enough to be about caffeine, right? Or full flavor. Now you need functional benefits. Sip has Camu Camu. You know, you guys have a number of different antioxidants that help, you know, a variety of different sort of health and wellness needs that consumers have. And I think that is where we want more from the same things and we want them to mean better for us, I think mentally and physically. And so I, I do think there is, I do think this formula is evolving. I think it's getting more sophisticated. Now to the degree in which it doesn't feel like marketing, I think that's where the best brands actually are thriving. Mm -hmm. Whether they be in fashion, which is completely about capitalism. You know, you see brands, fashion brands in particular, doing great things on Instagram, really compelling things. You know, before COVID, they were using their fashion shows as great sort of events to tell stories. But 
in general, they are trying to create content that we want to watch. And I think that's entertainment, right? And so I do think that becomes part of the formula that good startups are going to start to utilize. On and offline is this idea of whether you call it branded content or entertainment or just things that people want to watch and see and interact with. I think that feels interesting. So if you kind of start to think about the new new, you know, in a world where we care about wellness, I do believe that, mental and physical health, I think there's about entertainment. People want to watch things, whether they be on Netflix or their Instagram feed or TikTok. Like, they want to watch things that make them feel better. Like, I think we're elevating what we expect from brands and the relationships we have with them. (laughs) And that is going to be really hard, but the breast brands will succeed. I'm laughing because we just had an interview on marriage. And actually, it's the episode that aired today. And verbatim, it's the same idea of like, we've come so far, we're so much more sophisticated and, and evolved that now we just expect more from our marriages than we did 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And like, what would have been a perfectly satisfactory marriage for our grandparents is now no longer sufficient for what we expect today. It's hilarious that it's the same thing. The roles that we expect, like the many different roles we expect this one person to sort of like, you know, uh, perform. Right. And now we expect the same of our products. Our brands. Okay. Now we expect the same of our, like, brands are like our spouses. Right. That, that feels so, oh, I don't know. If that's good or bad, I know it was like it's a total excuse my language mind fuck. To say that I I expect that and me. I don't know if I should be happy or sad, but it's probably true. Yeah, to a large degree, that whether we are more evolved, we're definitely more demanding. Yeah, and I think we have to come to grips with that as entrepreneurs. Yeah, okay. so we're uh, functional. Mushroom adaptogen company slash entertainment company slash slash. We also give you better self esteem and tell you when you look hot in your new shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and you're an accessory, right? That they right. can walk around with all the time because it says to other people what you're saying to them, right? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, more, 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 more. Um, so funny. But it's true. So, um, yeah, I don't know. If I don't want to be a downer. No, no, it's not a downer. It's just a new perspective, right? Which, I mean, can't argue with that. I, I would take it as this, if you want to fill it glass half full, I would take it as a responsibility, mm-hmm. okay. right? Because then it starts to feel like you're doing something well for others. Like you're adding value. You're giving them something to feel good about. Right. And... You know, one of the brands, Cherubundi, I work on, it's all natural tart cherry juice, right? We, it has tons of recovery benefits. But the truth is, all we want to help you do is recover faster, feel better, sleep longer, right? And so we do feel like we're adding value. Now, we're going to do that through the lens of aspiration, right? So you do want to feel good about the way you work out. Whether you work out all day or work all day, we want to help you feel better. And we have an all-natural sort of solution to do that. So that, to me, feels like, oh, I have a responsibility to help people feel better. It, it actually makes me, it inspires me to want to share the word, to advocate for these types of solutions versus market to you to buy my stuff so it makes you feel better because you walk around with a cup in your hand. Right. 
And I think that is some of what we are hopefully seeing when going back to what we started, you know, started off talking about in this COVID climate is, you know, which brands are rising to the top because they are genuine in their endeavor to actually add value and to help you feel better, to help you optimize your health versus which ones are sort of just cashing in and capitalizing on, you know, the fear mongering that's out there right now because people are so scared of the outside world. And um, I mean, hopefully with, you know, a glass half full, you know, view on it, we will see a separation of those of those two camps. And we will see that, you know, that that you, once you kind of like pull back, look under the hood or whatever the metaphor is, that you see you know, which ones are kind of bullshit and just trying to like peddle you something and which ones have real genuine, whether it's, you know, data and science backed or just complete efficacy and you actually like feel the benefit immediately, whatever, whatever, however it needs to manifest. Um, But hopefully, you know, if we are going to try to find some silver linings out of this dumpster fire of 2020, (laughs) then (laughs) using the word dumpster fire a lot lately. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever well, it is. If we're well, I would get... ask you guys that. What 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 brands do you think? If we were going to say the best brands of twenty twenty, hardest star. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a hard list. Like, I do mean, you? Billy Harvest is probably just fucking. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're doing God's work, is what I meant to say. I mean, they are just talk about timing, and I mean brands that are crushing it. Uh, in 2020? Or are you saying brands that were introduced in 2020? Because those are two different things. Well, I would say one, there's no year in my career that has been harder to introduce anything than this year. Yeah. Like, I think we've all recoiled back into our <laughs> own little closet yep. and said, I'm going to go with the brands that I know and love and trust already. And convenience is now the additional thing that I want to consider. So hopefully they'll deliver to my door on a daily basis. And those brands are the ones that I think are probably winning the most. They're probably the biggest brands or brands that are the most well-known because they've been able to introduce themselves over time to us prior to this all happening. Mm -hmm. That said, I I do challenge myself and all of us to think about what are the news best brands of 2020? Like what brands did we really introduce to ourselves this year that we hadn't before? Besides Zoom? <laughs> right. Zoom is definitely on that list. Right? That's, that's a good one. Whether we like it or not, yeah. it's a really good one. It's a good one. I mean, I, I would say I've just like recently reintroduced myself to Peloton. Yep. Sort of yeah, Peloton's and I, I am. I hate the cliche, but I definitely have a Peloton and I ride it on a daily basis. It is my source of mental health, not only physical health. Yep. You know what? You know that that has changed the way that I work out. It has yep. changed the way that I have a daily routine. You know, um, and that is the silver lining to this year, right? Like, actually, I think it, it, it's a tale of two stories. Either people have gained weight or I think people have gotten much more fit. I don't think there's a lot of people in the middle. I agree. And I um, are just sort of like the alcohol bloat. 
just sort of like, I didn't necessarily gain weight. I just look a little bloated because I've yeah. been drinking eight cocktails a day. That's Wait, why that's why Easy Tomorrow is also a top twenty <laughs> top twenty twenty brand. Good discovery. But wait, so so Peloton has been really interesting because yeah, so I have one in my basement. Uh, it's been collecting dust and I just kind of like rediscovered it. But I found because I took like a bit of a break and I, I was writing this morning actually and I found that and maybe you noticed this like I feel like the instructors have had a sort of shift in their, in what they, literally, I feel like they're all just like preaching so aggressively, but um, it's so self-help. Like, I feel like they've been given, they've all been given like such strong direction now to sort of like communicate with their audience in a just, it's just, it feels like therapy. It's not like you're working out, but they're just like, you can do, you can get through this day. Like it's all just feels very COVID related and like mental health directed. (laughs) Like maybe it's just the people I choose. I was going to say, you've been riding with Jen Sherman, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is, it is like soul cycle on blast, right? Soul cycle was kind of, the original like, you know, soul warrior type mentality where they brought you some amount of like motivation in their classes in the dark room that was candlelit with music pulsing. And like, I tried Soul Cycle for sure. And there was something that you walked out of there feeling reinvigorated, not just physically, but mentally about whatever you were trying to get done. And I agree, Peloton has now taken that to a whole new level. It's that, like piled up. Yeah. Oh, it is. Super, I mean, it's effective. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, side note, I actually don't Peloton until the afternoons or the early evenings. So I will not start drinking too early. That it's is my go to. <laughs> it's my go to that it's I'm like. Now oh. it's like Pavlovian. Like you finish yeah. your ride and then you get to go to the wine fridge. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it? This is where I've always had this debate with Erica about like, I'm more of like an end of day workout person, not beginning. Cause like beginning of the day, I just want to like start working. And at the end of the day, I just want to sort of like delay the, 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 uh, the start of happy hour, the reach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and like, of course, you know, once you do the workout, then you, you know, you need a shower and then you're like, okay, well I I'll put on some new clothes for the day. And then that just takes, that takes like 60 to 90 minutes. Easy. And now it's like six thirty, seven o'clock. You're like, yep. Not too early to start drinking. I can do it. So, uh, yeah, all those things are true. All of us are living the same lives. But I, you know, again, going back to our point, like Peloton, Zoom, new brands. I will say this: the way I think about it is when I look at my phone and I wonder, have any of the brands on my home screen changed? Hmm. That's the context that I think we live in now, and this sort of like. Obviously, all of us have iPhones, new and old. Like that is the that is where, in a lot of particularly now in COVID, but I think a lot of young brands live and die. Whether you're in marketplaces or you actually have apps, like that is the real turf war. Is yeah. the home screen? It's a good, uh, it's a good way to to think about it. By the way, Uber got moved off my home screen. They, yeah. used to, I yeah. took Uber every day. Now they don't, they don't belong on my home screen. <laughs> right? So they're no longer there. Instagram's still there. The weather app, yep, I can look out my window. But, you know, what What brands have been introduced to that Same that list. are new? Yeah. And that's, that's the way I look at it and the way that I see those the brands that are most important to me. Uh, you know, that, yes, probably more functionally based, but 
nonetheless, it's just another filter to consider like your role as a brand slash person in people's lives. I like that. It's a cool way to look at it. Interesting. Okay. Well, this has been very useful. Thanks for letting us turn this into our own little therapy. I know. I really <laughs> We just got free coaching and uh, and a little content to, to boot. Um, wow. I mean, I think, I mean, you guys are the experts, to be honest. You've been through this now from start to finish. You're about to do it again. You know, I, I would ask you some of the questions you've asked me. Like, you see all the trends, right? You know, you have an entire podcast dedicated to wellness. You know, if what do you really think what is the state of being well? Like, what is our relationship to it that you think as founders, brands, and entrepreneurs, we have a responsibility to? Well, I think some of what we are, you know, hoping to do with Earth and Star is, is kind of make wellness feel like it is just so easily integrated into your daily experience that that it becomes inherent and that it's not something that you have to necessarily chase because, you know, like with the way we're thinking about it, functional ingredients are huge, right? Like it's not enough. Like you were saying earlier, it's not enough to just have, you know, your matcha in the morning and that caffeine. And there's a little bit of, you know, this, there's functionality in that to begin with, but adding functionality to places where you're already kind of in your routine so that it doesn't feel disruptive, but it feels more integrative. So that's why, you know, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at your your beverage ritual, your afternoon snack, your chocolate bar, whatever it is that you're already doing, we want to just create a kind of a foundation of, you know, wellness functionality underneath it so that it doesn't feel disruptive. It doesn't feel obligatory. It just feels like this is just now how my daily routine goes and I'm not adding anything to it. I don't have to take a time out. I just want it to be seamless. So I don't know. That's, that's how I would think about it. I feel like just to build upon the sort of idea of ritual and, and you're, you know, we're, we're trying to focus on like the habits, the habitual products that people are consuming already. I think the message under that and what we're trying to communicate and what we have like a responsibility, I feel to communicate is that you know, wellness is not a magic bullet, right? So there's nothing out there that is going to fix your problem tomorrow. There's no pill, there's no supplement, there's no whatever magic to it. So it's like, it's really about changing the way people are thinking about their health in terms of you're either reactive or you're proactive, right? So I feel like with this product, we're really trying to educate around this idea of sort of preventative medicine, right? So it's sort of like a long-term, you know, the best offense is a good defense sort of mentality and sort of shift our thinking a little away from Western mentality, which is very much reactive into a more Eastern approach, which is just like, this is, you know, something you incorporate so that you don't get sick or so that you're, you know, you're building yourself up every day. And that is like a real shift that I think we need to make as a culture regardless, right? I mean, that's... It feels very timely too, because I think, you know, even this sort of um, the the recent kind of like popularity and buzz around functional medicine and all these kind of like functional medicine doctors becoming these sort of like pseudo rock stars. It, it's interesting because they are that that is a big shift in our culture. Like people are looking at functional medicine as a way to 
um, be more proactive about their health and be more individual about their health and, 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 you know, take a sort of longer view. So I feel like that's very much like built into what we're doing with this product, right? So anything that's around adaptogens, I mean, that's what it means. It's like you are, it's a loading process. Like you have to take it every day. This is not something like, you know, this is not like a triple shot of caffeine with like L-theanine that you're going to just like get the zing from. It's, it's much more thoughtful and it's much more, it's much more, it feels like more accountable, right? Like for the consumer to be more accountable for their own health. Um, so I don't know. That's I think it does. I, I think you call it two things that are super interesting that I see across companies, but I, I definitely think are right for the time. One is all of us have rethought our rituals, right? Our daily ritual is so different and so important. Whether you get up in Peloton or you go for a walk or what you eat, you know, how you act, interact is really your own space and your own ecosystem during these times. That is my, like I said, I have dinner every night with my family, which I definitely did not during, you know, 2019. Like that is now part of my, my daily ritual. And so thinking about rituals, I think is super topical and super insightful now. And not only that, so at Cherry Bunny, we, you know, our line is respect the ritual because you, you need to drink tart cherry juice at the end of your workout every day to receive the natural benefits that they provide. Mm-hmm. It's about consistency, right? Yeah. And you're saying the same thing, right? Is how do we, how do you take what is the morning ritual possibly for your coffee or your afternoon ritual, which is maybe caffeine oriented and make it better for you in a way that adds value that you feel good about but you're tapping into a ritual or a routine or, or some part of a consumer behavior that's already happening. I think that's a way easier way than trying to create one. Don't get me wrong. Sip's in the same camp, right? Sip is, is infused with Camu Camu. It's a vitamin C superfruit. Superfruit is another word of 2020, by the way. I would, I would say I haven't heard that word more than I have in the past three months. But nonetheless, they're all about the afternoon all-natural caffeine and functional benefit moment that people have to replace soda, right? Because it's the fight against, you know, bad ingredients, dirty ingredients that soda brings that, you know, there's many functional beverages are trying to replace. But identifying that moment, I think, is step one, because I think that is a really interesting moment to, you know, create more value around that consumers are really wanting. They're totally open to that because you're not asking them to change. You're just asking them to make a better decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Which we've been... And I, I, I As like upgrade your ritual. That's right. right. That's exactly right. Don't create it. Right. Just make it a little better. And, and I think we all are in this game of self-care. You know, that does... It's just about making these little moments a little bit better for us each day. And I think consumers are pretty savvy that way. I think we want those things. We understand that they're possible. And brands that bring that mentality, I think, have a chance to win. And so it's a very sort of evolutionary approach and a very proactive one, which I agree with you. Is, is, uh, but I, 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 I think that is what the future of specifically health brands and being well will be about in the next year. I like it. Well. Don't we have our work cut out for us? <laughs> <laughs> we all do. We're all in this together. That's for sure. Oh, we are. Well, this has been awesome. And uh, actually quite 
encouraging and I think very uplifting, even though it feels like we touched on a lot of things that felt a little little dark. I feel like there's a lot of optimism here. So that's, I don't know. I like it. I'm feeling optimistic. Um, Somehow I actually, I feel every day, whether it be, you know, the recent events, of vaccines and other things, I, the state of America is is always a moving sort of object or target. But I do this holiday. I feel significantly more optimistic than I did three or six or even nine months ago. Yeah. So I think that's great. I think there's a, hopefully a feeling of unity as we get through this 2021. I think I think 2021 will be the year of recovery. FYI. And. I think that means a lot of things for brands and for people that I think hopefully is very, very optimistic. Agreed. Agreed. Um, thank you so much, Rob. This has been really great. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Let us Bye. know when you're back in New York. We'll have a- yeah. We'll go do Peloton and then go booze. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for that. That'll be a moment that we all celebrate. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, all right. Thank you very much. Bye. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.